Hello and welcome to Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson Story. I'm Curtis Robinson, your host, and uh, with us today, our producer, Christopher Tidmore. Hello. And we're recording from uh, our palatial studios in New Orleans, Louisiana. So, Christopher, how are you? I do well as we look out at Historic Magazine Street in the city that not only Hunter had so much to, but actually at the other end of this street is the restaurant that is going to be kind of the subject of a great meeting and to gather a story. Arnos. Yes, yes, yes. I love it when you foreshadow. I love it when you foreshadow. Well, today's story is a little different. I get a lot of questions about what's the difference between a hunter story and a hunter a story about hunter, and I, I think it's subjective, of course, but I think it has to do with emotion. And I love finding them where I don't expect them. So recently, uh, I was cruising through the back of a Target store and happened to notice that the Fox News host Tucker Carlson's book was, I will say, nicely displayed. I was interested in Carlson's book because he got a piece in there about the guy who used to run the Palm Restaurant. And that had re-sparked some gossip in Washington. And I, I, But when I opened the book, and I don't know if everyone does this, but I opened it pretty much at random. The first thing I saw was when the fun stopped, which is, of course, a hunterism. He uh, once produced a compilation CD of music called Where Were You When the Fun Stopped? So that jumped right out at me. And sure enough, uh, uh, it's Tucker Carlson writing about Hunter S. Thompson and recounting a, a story he had. So I, I really hadn't expected that. Uh, is that something you knew about? Well, I, I knew that, Hunter, that Tucker Carlson knew Hunter, and I knew that they had kind of a relationship between the two of them. But I, I wasn't really – I mean, I, it, considering that Tucker Carlson's latest career has come – Sort of from the clarion call of the right, I was a little surprised when you told me you found this story in it. It, it, and it gets into the whole question we'll, we'll talk about, I guess, in a little while. I, the Tucker Carlson that I knew when I worked in Washington in the late 90s, early 2000s, was a somewhat different type of journalistic animal than the Tucker Carlson who graces our television every night on Fox. And this is coming from a guy who has worked for Fox for most of his career and is predominantly center right in his politics. But it's, it's, it, it was, it was kind of an interesting juxtaposition that you brought it up. Well, yeah. One of the things that the book further reminds you, I mean, uh, is that Tucker Carlson, you know, we're going to podcast and to news networks, but at heart, I mean, he, made his bones and was a magazine writer he and he makes a good point about that about when you know you say he was a different animal well he lived in a different ecosystem because you know he wrote for gq he wrote for esquire the pieces i really like he works for the uh, law for the recently deceased weekly standard which i thought you know it w- was sort of um, christopher hitchens wrote for the standard you know the list yeah so it, Bill, it, Bill crystal's intellectual pantheon Yes, well, and others, but it, it, it's really a model. I mean, his he does an at-length interview with James Carville, mm-hmm. and he starts it out saying, I was so surprised to like James Carville. I don't know that that stuff's possible anymore. I, I don't think you can debate how that interview would come out because I don't know that either one of them would do the interview. I, well, I think Tucker Carlson might, but I don't know I don't know if James would, would do that it, and it's just a really it's startling really when you when you see the book to know just how different it is now how how much we're in our camps and and 
I remember talking to Tucker years ago when right after the Daily Caller had begun. And he expressed then, you know, how hard it was to say center right because the the energy, the the push, the the money always wants to pull you. And I'm and I imagine the same is true on the left. Trying to be center left or center right is just a really difficult thing to do now and a good way to go out of business. You no, know, I mean to try to be moderate is to be to be middle of the road is to be roadkill is basically I mean it, it really is. And it's it, from a from both a journalistic standpoint and from an economic standpoint, I mean, I, I feel it. I, I, I experienced it on my own Fox News radio show, which is nothing like Tucker Carlson's, but I made a tongue-in-cheek comment when, when my co-host, who's very right-wing, but actually a wonderful gentleman, came out and he, he started listing all the Russian conspiracies about uh, what was going on in the uh, Biden administration. And I, I said very tongue-in-cheek, well, ha- heck, the Russians elected Trump. And actually, I was being ironic. I don't actually believe the Russians. I think they played in our election, but I don't think the reason Donald Trump got elected was because of the Russians. But the amount of mail, and more importantly, response from sponsors, they would not sponsor the show and all this, over something, over one comment that was made as a bit of a joke. You couldn't even be somewhat satirical anymore. And, And that was one of Tucker Carlson's great attributes, was satire when he was writing for the caller and before for George and all this. He was somebody who was able to even make fun a little bit of people on the right as his own tribe. And you can't do that anymore. People have become so literal and so opposed. Well, I guess there's the question of what, what, and you get this is what would Hunter think now, but I can tell you in the day, he was a bit of a Tucker Carlson fan and, 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 uh, uh, fan might be, I don't know if Hunter was a fan. I, let me withdraw that. <laughs> I, I, let's just say an appreciator, because fan fan might be a bit strong on for the way Hunter saw other writers in general, even other magazine writers. But I've got I have happened my turn too. But I have, I have Mr. Carlson's book here, and I, and there's a couple parts of it that just jump out that are worth sharing. Okay. Um, and he begins saying, "More than 15 years." This is from the Weekly Standard in 2005. More than 15 years after his death, the articles from 2005, this is the forward to it. More than 15 years after his death, Hunter Thompson is probably best remembered for the way he lived. High-powered drugs, high-powered handguns, with a smoldering dunhill and a cigarette holder clamped between his teeth. But more than anything, Thompson was a magazine writer. And, and he says, by the time I finally met him, Thompson was in decline just days as it turned out before his death. The reality of the man was sadder than expected, as it usually is. But to this day, I admire his writing, and I still have his pack of Dunhills in the top drawer of my desk. So you go, you go to the thing he wrote in the Weekly Standard called When the Fun Stop, and he says, he begins saying, I feel like I've known Hunter S. Thompson for most of my life. I first encountered him in 1981 when I was 12. A family friend had moved out after a long stay in the guest room, and I decided to find out what he had left behind. On the nightstand, I found a copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I liked the cover art, so I read it. It changed my life. The book made me want to drop everything, specifically the sixth grade, and take up journalism. And, you know, that, Christopher, that hit home to me so much because I myself was happily ensconced in a pre-law program. 
and I read that damn campaign book. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. This was not this was not part of career day at my high school. No one no one talked about buying the ticket, taking the ride. I didn't realize that was an option. By the way, uh, the Tucker Carlson story also says that he from the drug list that we'll all remember, all, all Hunter fans remember from the Vegas book. Uh-huh. He recounts that, you know, a quart of tequila, a quart of rum, a case of beer, a pint of raw ether, two dozen amyls. Amyls? I resolved to try it all down to the ether, which I finally located midway through 10th grade at a head shop on the west side of Manhattan. All right, I don't think I would have suspected that of Tucker Carlson, to tell you the truth. Then he, then he and I'll, I'll the story is just really good. He's, he talks about a Brown University appearance when he was a freshman in college. Uh, he drove to, to see Hunter debate G. Gordon Liddy. And I'm reminded of that. They, they did that series of debates, um, which was really, really odd. And he said that essentially Hunter embarrassed himself. He said dead sober, Thompson still would have embarrassed himself. He didn't have much to say. Later, he says it was 18 years before I saw him again. Last month, and again, I'll say this was written in March 2005. Last month, a friend invited my wife and me to New Orleans to have dinner with Hunter Thompson. We met at Arno's in the French Quarter. Thompson couldn't make it to the second floor dining room because of a bad leg, so we sat at the bar. He didn't say much, and when he did, he spoke in a faint, slurry voice. He smiled a lot. He could not have been nicer. Later in the story, after an hour or so, I got up to leave. Rather than shake my hand, Thompson leaned forward and pulled me in, hugging me so hard for so long that his lapel pin left an imprint on my cheek. He then handed me his pack of Dunhills, Superior Mound, with one left in the box. I couldn't tell if he wanted me to smoke the cigarette or if he was offering it as a keepsake. I put the pack in my pocket. It's sitting on my desk as I type. But not after Hunter Thompson killed himself. I got into bed with my copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I finished it at dawn. I'm happy to say I wasn't disappointed. It was as good as I remembered. And I have to tell you, that, but that's what makes it a Hunter story. That's not reporting. That, that, that's a story. And I can honestly say... Having met so many people, I never had the privilege of meeting Hunter. I, I loved him from afar. But I can honestly say, Curtis, the idea that Hunter didn't just put an impression on the cheek from his lapel pin, he put an impression on those who touched him, he put their, an impression of himself on their hearts, is really kind of what he's saying. And it's been a common theme for almost every person that knew Hunter and has come on to this podcast. Well, I don't, I don't think Hunter will ever become the kind of writer who is primarily known for his influence on other writers, although he should be known for that. It is, it is amazing how many people you run into who sort of take you aside and say they, they have their Hunter stories. You know, I remember doing a thing it was shortly after Hunter died with Michael Isikoff, the investigative reporter, and, and we were talking to a group of students at the new school and and he was being very investigative reporterish but but then he he goes into this he just sits up and tells this story about one christmas when he was in aspen he got to go out to hunter's house 
And he said that when he came back, and he said, you know, in his lot of work, he's met presidents. He's, you know, he, so he's, he made a point of saying he's got a habit of not name dropping. But he said he couldn't resist that when he got back, he was around a bunch of reporters and said, yeah, I was out at, what did you do at Christmas? I went, I was, and after I got, I met Hunter Thompson. And he said, all the reporters just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, it, and, it, and it's like that, you know, I, I, I usually try not to name drop Hunter for the first I don't know. I think I've made it three minutes into a conversation once a couple of years ago. That's my record. Um, you know, but you don't have to name drop him. I come in wearing a Gonzo t-shirt, a Gonzo hat and, uh, and a tattoo. So it's, uh, it's pretty good, but, but it was, but I will say it's a reminder, you know, Hunter was actually really good friends with people like Pat Buchanan comes to mind. Right. Um, and he said that it was a lot of it was that it was political people, and he, and you could talk politics, sort of, you know, professional to professional. But I don't know that that's possible now. And look, some of Pat Buchanan's closest friends were very much on the left politically. I mean, that Capitol gang and those things that he did, particularly what with I'm going blank. Oh, the McLaughlin group. Those were some. Those were his best friends. They weren't some of these things, Jack Tremont and all this. And now we really have become somewhat tribal. You have to be on one side or the other, or you're a traitor. I mean, it's, it's, it's come into... I actually asked a prominent conservative commentator. I had him on the air recently, and I was... And this guy I know on a personal level doesn't really think this. But I asked him on the air, because he's going so crazy, I said, look, I know you disagree with Joe Biden, and in and, and many areas I do too, but you're, you're almost talking like the President of the United States is a traitor, and he says, well, of course. I said, well, okay, was Barack Obama a traitor? Well, of course. All right, well, then was George W. Bush a traitor? And he actually said, yes, of course. We've only, the only two presidents we haven't had of traitors are Reagan and Trump in the last half century. And I'm like, when you start calling the president of the other party a traitor, not wrong, not incorrect, not the wrong ideology, but literally guilty of treason, and you mean it, we've reached a point in our, in our political discourse that if you're friends with a traitor, you can't be friends with me. And that's, that kind of undermines what was one of the brilliant and beautiful things about political writing and political Washington, that you could actually talk across the line. You could talk shop. You can't. Now. Yeah, even, even talking shop get, gets more and more difficult. And people ask you, know, what, would, what would Hunter think of the current day? And I guess that, that, that's going to be hard to know. The, um, and I, by the way, think New Orleans is different from the rest of the country in a, in a lot of political ways. Uh, and, and I think it's one of the few cities where you might be able to have some discussion. So it's disheartening to find that, that even New Orleans, uh, the land of non-judgment is, is getting more judgmental. But you that, that same trip that he was talking about with having Dr. Carlson was talking about, that was, that was the last time I saw Hunter. Uh, that was the New Orleans trip. It was it was just shortly before uh, uh, he shot himself. So it was, and you've got to remember, Hunter was not partisan. People think of him as partisan because he was always, you know, the, the George McGovern and those kinds of things. But he wasn't party partisan. I mean, he helped elect Bill Clinton, and then some of the stuff he said about Bill Clinton was really beyond the pale. Traitor. Oh, traitor would have been an upgrade from the things he he felt about. But I think a lot of that is, you know, that, that thing that that PJ O'Rourke says about the Republican Party. We're the party that 
says government doesn't work and then we get elected and prove it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you wonder, you know, I, th- I think once you got elected, once you were president, I mean, uh, uh, Hunter's rejection of natural loathing for authority would come into play, I would imagine, almost always. Um, yeah, true. And it, you know, and I wonder, I'm trying to think now, if Tucker Carlson is a fugitive magazine writer hanging out on cable TV, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of who else falls into that. And, and I'm, I'm going to have to look it up because I, I think his point about magazine writers, because Hunter was primarily a magazine writer. I mean, people know him from his books, but his books were essentially a collection of his magazine writing um, with, with, you know, you can go into some of the, experimental fiction like Screwjack, but I mean, most of the books people know are, are collections of his work. And, and you wonder you, who's out there now doing that, or or maybe it's just that the, the magazine writer of today is writing for uh, blogs or websites, or, or you know, you look at the, the career path of a Matt Tabibi, and, and, you know, he's gone from left-leaning Rolling Stone writer to to someone was saying that the day Tabibi has gone from a Hunter Thompson wannabe to a Christopher Hitchens wannabe in 20 years. And I'm like, well, you could do worse. <laughs> Especially in your case, as you were friends with both Christopher Hitchens and Hunter Thompson, very close friends. Well, that's, true, that's true. I, that, that's true. <laughs> I actually, I actually, uh, uh, and part of the reason I was instrumental, you know, Chris, uh, Christopher Hitchens wrote the foreword to Anita Thompson's work, Ancient Gonzo Wisdom. And, you know, that's a good point. Christopher Hitchens wrote a great piece about going to Hunter's house. Uh, it starts out saying he was on it. I'm going to find that because he starts out talking about being on Aspen Mountain where they wouldn't serve him a drink because of the altitude. Uh, and then going to Hunter's where, you know, no one cared what you put in your body, you you were responsible for yourself. And I'll say that's pretty much true. You were you were judged by your intake at Al Farm as much as your your behavior. <laughs> well it's it's like, you know, does it accentuate you or does it collapse you? I mean it and uh, I don't know. I, I the idea Whenever I think of Hunter, I'm 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 thinking about his experiences, but he's sort of creating the ultimate intellectual salon on the run, if you will. And that was something that Tucker was really good in his magazine writing of accentuating early in his career. And it's something that if one thing has to be lost, it's kind of that. It it was one of, I always point out that William F. Buckley's best friend was, I just went blank, uh, the the former ambassador to India, a great economist. Um, I'm going to have to edit this out. Uh, but, yeah, because I just went <laughs> well, you, like a. You, you could edit it out before you said that. Now you might have to get in. But um, uh, um, not Lester Thoreau, but John Kenneth Galbraith, like liberal economist, they literally could not go through a day without completely disagreeing on every form of politics, and they spent almost every you know other weekend with each other and enjoyed each other's company immensely because they both were smart. And that was one thing that Hunter Love was from what you, I've perceived from you guys is smart people. People who were interesting, perceptive, and smart. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that's true. Uh, you could, I think some people can be interesting without being smart, but, but I, I take your point. And yeah, he, he, liked, he liked smart. He liked people who could keep up, and keeping up was not easy. 
the uh, at least for me it wasn't easy. But the I think for stories, uh, uh, Hunter, I, at least at this point in this day and age, we can say that we can uh, uh, tag Tucker Carlson, Fox News. Uh, my uh, I can guarantee you that my friends on the left, and and I think you, we, we might say that that. On this particular conversation, I'm, I'm much to the left of you. Mm. Uh, between us, we're probably directly in the middle, and we'll be run over soon. Oh no, I, I, I think we we are long since aimed to be roadkill, and uh, you know, the, it, it it's one of those challenges. The nice thing about podcasts is they can't turn off the uh, the radio signal on you. The only person who can do that is the person listening to the audience. And speaking of that, it's about time to turn off the radio signal. <laughs> Yes, there you go. There you go. Well put. Well, see, there it is. The producer comes out of you at, at the oddest times. <laughs> so now, now of course, I'll try to go look up the Christopher Hitchens. We'll just, we'll just uh, uh, stay to the right. And um, other than that, go Red Sox, and off we go. Thank oh. you very much uh, uh, for, for recording this, assuming, of course, you are recording it. Definitely recording it. This I wouldn't have wanted to miss. And, folks, next week you'll get another edition of Hunter Gatherers with Curtis Robinson and hanging in the background, yours truly, Christopher Tidmore. See you then.